This sweet treat can be found in the candy dishes of many grandmas' houses. Its origin has been lost to history, but the mechanism used for this candy was created in America. The creator of this machine may be the bane of many children. The candy's extremely brittle consistency makes it easy to break off a piece for sharing. We're discovering the history and origins of ribbon candy. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and welcome to another Serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Seasons Eatings is also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love the show, then I humbly ask you to share this podcast with someone you think would love to hear more about the history of Christmas and the foods which shape the holiday we love so much. And if you want to give me suggestions for future episodes, just email me at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. All the links can be found in the show notes at seasonseatingspodcast.com. Traditions can play an especially important part in celebrating the holidays each year for families. With Christmas, many of us head north and cut down our own Christmas tree. Maybe hang tree ornaments that have passed down from grandparents. Or even simply buying a box of holiday ribbon candy. The word candy actually comes from an ancient Indian Sanskrit. Kanda means a piece of sugar. Years later, the Arabic version moved one step closer with kandi. Although it's believed that the Indians were the first to use the sweet juice of sugarcane almost 3,000 years ago, there's some evidence that islanders of Papua New Guinea were aware of the sweetness of sugarcane nearly 3,000 years before that. That would make it about 4,000 BC. What is known for sure is that by boiling sugarcane juice, Indians were the first to make brown sugar. Before sugar came west, Egyptians used honey to make marshmallows, believe it or not, as early as 2000 BC. Later, the slaves made honey cakes by mixing honey with dates, seeds, and nuts in a mold. Hieroglyphics even show Egyptians keeping bees to harvest their honey. Around the same time, Greeks were using honey to make candied fruits, stems, and flowers. They also figured out how to make syrup out of figs and dates, but sugar was still mysterious and exotic. Upon their invasion of India in 327 BC, Alexander the Great's men didn't fully understand seeing honey being produced without the intervention of bees. When the Romans came on the scene, they made all kinds of confectionery treats called dulcia, the Latin word for sweet. Roman candy shops thrived in their cities, selling dates stuffed with almonds and stewed in honey, but still no sugar. Back east, the Indians have fought off Alexander, were enjoying brown sugar and getting the hang of making candy. Around 250 AD, Indian confectioners were making sugar candies in the shapes of animals and people. But the party was over when the Persian Emperor Darius attacked India in 510 AD. The Persian army soon discovered the secrets of sugarcane 
and described it as a reed that gives honey without the bees. But instead of stealing the recipe and sharing it with the world, the Persians decided to work with the Indians to export brown sugar to other civilizations. It was sold far and wide as a medicine and general luxury item, and the profits rolled in. But the Candy Empire would fall in 642 AD, when the Arabs invaded and stole the secret recipe. After that, candy was public domain. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, Arabs were cultivating sugarcane and hard at work finding new ways to implement sugar and candy into their lives. By 950 AD, they had invented caramel, but originally used it to remove hair. Lozenges and marzipan followed soon after. They began to make sculptures out of sugar paste in the shape of trees and animals. And before long, the Arabs built the first sugar refinery in the world on an island they called Candia. Growing sugarcane eventually takes off around the world, and candy becomes popular almost everywhere. If you want to learn more about the history of sugar and its effect around the world, I highly recommend Dr. Neil Buttery's book, The Dark History of Sugar. It focuses mostly on England and its production in sugar, but it does touch upon the history and where sugar had originated from. He and I talked about his book in a previous episode. Eventually, candy making and consumption increased greatly during the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century. Candy had been previously made by hand, either occasionally at home or by specialists in small local businesses. Increased mechanization caused prices to drop and production to increase. In the late 19th century and especially the early 20th century, industrial candy making was almost exclusively a masculine affair. And home-based candy making was a feminine affair. Candy was considered sweet and dainty, so making it at home, giving it away to friends, and perhaps selling small amounts in local areas, conformed with the Western gender roles for women at the time. Most women making and selling candy did so only seasonally or for a little extra money. They rarely earned enough to support themselves or their families. Despite several large brands being named after women or otherwise capitalizing on wholesome, feminine, and maternal images, very few were owned or operated by women. Gender segregation also affected candy workers in the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century. Men and boys were employed for cooking and operating machinery, putting them at higher risk of injury or death. Women were mostly employed for wrapping and putting candies in packages for, or for hand-dipping candies in chocolate. The best-paid women were the chocolate dippers, yet the wages for these skilled and experienced female workers were almost lower than that of the worst-paid male machine operators. Ribbon candy is a type of hard candy, which in North America most often appears for sale around the Christmas holiday season. Much like those of a candy cane, traditional colors for ribbon candy were red and white because of their association with Santa Claus. 
but the treat can be made in any other combination of colors and is available shiny or matte. Mint and citrus are two of the most popular flavors. Other options include vanilla, cinnamon, chocolate, and even bubblegum. It acquires its shape by first being fashioned as a warm sugar into flat strips. The strip is then folded back and forth over itself to form a hardened ribbon stick. The sugar is often colored to appear festive and the candy is often has a glossy sheen. It's commonly made with extracts often of different citrus or mint flavors and it's usually thin enough to melt quickly in the mouth. But because pieces of it are usually larger than bite size, biting into a stick of it causes it to shatter into shards. Many types of ribbon candies tend to become sticky easily, usually either due to body warmth from being held or simply from room temperature and humidity. And it's often used for decoration, put out on display in candy dishes, plates, or apothecary jars. When it's used in this way, it tends to pick end up sticking together if it's been sitting out for an extended period of time. Ribbon candy is a traditional Christmas candy which goes back for centuries in Europe, although it's unclear exactly when the candy was first created. Because ribbon candy is considered a hard candy, hard candy is referred to as a boiled sweet and it's a candy prepared from one or more syrups boiled into a temperature of 160 degrees centigrade or about 320 degrees Fahrenheit. After a syrup boiled to this temperature cools, it's called a hard candy because it becomes stiff and brittle as it approaches room temperature. Hard candy recipes variously call for syrups of sucrose or glucose or fructose and to add color, food coloring is sometimes used. The final texture of candy depends on the sugar concentration. As the syrup is heated, it boils and the sugar concentration increases as water evaporates. A given temperature corresponds to a particular sugar concentration. Because the boiling point elevation of sugar solution is a colligative property, that means it's related to the concentration of the solution. So the temperature is used as a marker for the necessary concentration. In general, the higher the temperatures and the greater sugar concentrations result in hard, brittle candies, and a lower temperature results in a softer candy. The names for the various stages of candy making come from the methods used to test the syrup before thermometers became affordable. The thread stage is tested by cooling a little syrup and pulling it between the thumb and full forefinger. When the correct stage is reached, a thread will form. This stage is used for making syrups. For subsequent stages, a small spoonful of syrup is dropped into cold water, and the characteristics of the resulting lump are evaluated to determine the concentration of the syrup. A smooth lump indicates the ball stage, when the corresponding hardness is described. At the soft crack stage, a syrup forms threads that are just pliable. At the hard crack stage, the threads are brittle. While the sugar is still warm, you can twist and shape it into practically any form, something simple like a candy cane or much more complex shapes. 
Confectioners developed the candy as a Christmas decoration for their shops, modeling the wavy form around the candy maker's thumb. In the 1800s, for ribbon candy, mechanical crimpers were invented to shape the ribbons. Finger-like crimpers simulated the curl originally put into the candy by hand. The candy maker made the candy, another spun off a ribbon and fed it into a crimper, which was then turned by hand. Finally, the curly ribbon was cut with scissors as it came down a small conveyor. We'll find out how the candy making process became automated and who created it after the break. If you're like me, you have fond memories of Christmas's past. When you settled in with your family to watch cherished Christmas classics like Rudolph, Frosty, or maybe you remember trekking to the theater to see big holiday releases like A Christmas Story, Home Alone, and my personal favorite, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I hope you'll rediscover a piece of that innocence while shopping at retrofestive.ca. While you're here, why not pick up some gifts for your loved ones? We're always posting new items, so be sure to check back often. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. From leg lamps to moose mugs, puzzles and pop culture, Retrofestive is your one-stop online shop for all your holiday gifts. Visit retrofestive.ca and be like Uncle Eddie and get something for you. Something really nice. Don't you wish the holidays would last the entire year? Well, now it can. Head on over to MyMerryChristmas.com where you can enjoy the holidays all year long. You can chat with other Christmas enthusiasts on any topic you can think of. Movies, books, cooking, decorating, anything. If it's about Christmas, it's here. Joining My Merry Christmas is completely free. But if you become a premier member, you can enjoy extra bonuses such as a yearly Christmas card exchange and Kringle Radio, Santa's exclusive Christmas radio station. For only $19.95, you can become a premier member of MyMerryChristmas.com for a full year. So head on over to MyMerryChristmas.com and start enjoying Christmas all year long. Making ribbon candy was a very labor-intensive process. Each batch of candy had to be put through rollers and crimped together by hand. That was until an enterprising young dentist came up with a machine to help candy making become much easier. This gentleman's name was Dr. Philip Benjamin Lasky. Dr. Lasky was born in Marblehead, Massachusetts in 1845. His family was co-owners of Selkin and Lasky, a clothing store on Washington Street located in the Mugford building for many years. Mr. Lasky attended schools until he was 17 where he listed in the U.S. Army in the summer of 1862. Lasky fought in many battles and was later wounded at the Battle of Mechanicsville in 1862. During the battle, he and several others were captured and imprisoned in the Libby Prison in Richmond, Virginia. After the war, Lasky returned to Marblehead and was employed as apprentice in the dental offices of Dr. A.J. Smith and Dr. J.H. Batchelder in Salem. 
before going on to graduate from Harvard Dental School in 1871. In the 1880s, he opened a dental office and workshop in the Rechabite Block Building on Pleasant Street. A man of many talents, Dr. Lasky spent his free time performing as a musician and working as an inventor. He played the cornet in the Marblehead Brass Band and played the first violin in the Salem Symphony Orchestra. Unsurprisingly, among his inventions, most were dental instruments. The Lasky gingival retractor became part of many dentist's equipment. His compound hydrodermic syringe was almost the first of a high-pressure type, and his quickly filling water syringe found a ready market in dentistry for many years. But his most famous mechanical device? A hand-powered ribbon candy crimper, which was invented in the 19th century right in the town of Marblehead. Candy makers first developed ribbon candy centuries ago, modeling the candy around the candy maker's thumb. In 1886, Dr. Lasky invented the first mechanical candy crimper to make the ribbons instead of the human thumb. Finger-like crimpers simulated the curl originally put into the candy by hand. Dr. Lasky was first approached by Marblehead candy maker Girdler Stacy in the 1880s looking for a simpler, faster way to make holiday ribbon candy. And Lasky came up with his mechanical candy crimper. With word of his device spreading quickly around New England and eventually around the world, he patented the device in 1886. He then built the hand crank devices at the P.B. Lasky Manufacturing Workshop in Rechabite Block in Pleasant Street, and for the next 15 years shipped them around the world. The hand crank device came in a 12 by 12 inch wooden box. The folding three-piece ramp had a gear-driven double spring which fed the candy into the, into the ribbon crimper. Lasky later patented and sold another candy-making machine by turning out candy pieces, but left the manufacturing to his son, William, in New York. With the confectioners able to buy their own crimper, the candy's popularity exploded in New England. More candy equals more cavities which equals more patience for Dr. Lasky, right? Mechanical crimpers worked well, but the process was slow and very labor-intensive. As demand increased for ribbon candy, it became clear that another way to make the candy had to be found. The process was still toilful, whereby the candy maker that makes the candy and another spins off a ribbon and feeds it into the crimper, which is then turned by hand says Colleen Kolodny, CEO of Kids Wiki, a website with, that reviews children's gifts. And finally, the ribbon was cut with scissors to desired lengths. But because the process was very labor-intensive, ribbon candies were never made in large scale until the 1940s, says Kolodny, when a single spinning wheel was created. With careful tending of the candy batch, the hand spinner could be avoided and the automatic machine could do the job efficiently. An air-activated cutter was also invented, which helps cutting the candy instead of using scissors. And that's essentially the method that's still used today. Unless you're lucky enough to find a confectioner who still does things the old-fashioned way. So the next time you're at your grandma's house and sees a bowl full of ribbon candy, thank a dentist for making it so easy to have this Christmas treat.
I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eatings sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And I know we all get busy, so even sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would be a great help. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me an eggnog. Just go to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Seasons Eatings has great items for you or your loved ones this holiday season, so head on over to seasonseatings.com, click on the merchandise tab to find your next great gift. Thank you for listening, and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under Creative Commons license. <laughs>